0: Um so if you have your Bibles I'd encourage you to open them and read along. If you don't have a Bible, do we have them on the sermon note? And if you don't have the sermon notes, they're it's also somewhere on your phone. Or an other electronic device. Um just can't imagine like in nineteen fifties at a Baptist church saying, Pull out your phone and look up your scripture. Um uh, <laughs> sort of a strange world we live in. Um, but go ahead and read through chapter 15, verses 10 through 14, or 10 through 20 at your tables. Uh, you can have somebody read it out loud, or you can just read it on your own. Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. We, we started in Matthew 15, and in verses 1 and 2, we saw this attack on Jesus. And then verses 3 through 14, we see his response to the Pharisees, to the disciples, um, and to the crowd. And he makes it clear in his response that he's not happy with man-made religion. He's not happy with the ritual or ceremony that takes away from a right relationship with Christ. In fact, he ind- indicates that in that passage... It was what was wrong with the Pharisees and the scribes' approach to the Old Testament. And he, kept a, he said that by adding to God's commandments, they make the word of God null and void. They make it powerless. So instead of looking to the word of God as being truth, we look to these traditions, we look to these rituals, and we, saw it, we serve the rituals and the traditions instead of saying, okay, what does the word of God have to say? And whenever we begin to add to the Scripture, it won't be long before we begin to take away from the Scripture. The more you add to the Scripture, the more you take away from the Scripture. And that's precisely what Jesus said the disciples had done. And so that's the first thing that he criticizes them about. But we also see in the passage that Jesus indicates that by their own overstressing of ceremonial law, that they completely overlooked the moral law. That I could do these ceremonies, I could follow these laws, and I had no longer any responsibility to my fellow human being. I could, I didn't, they could be going, didn't matter, because I had a law that exempted me from caring for family, caring for others. And so again, in verse 10, 11, Jesus addresses the crowd and begins to explain to the crowd the kind of holiness that he wants. And he speaks of a heart holiness, one that is comes from within, not from without, that a person is transformed from the inside out instead of trying to clean up the outside so that the inside looks good. And he said, you have a form of religion, but you know, you're empty, you're void. And so he speaks of this heart holiness. And Ryle put it this way, what is the first thing we need in order to be Christians? A new heart. What is the sacrifice God takes, asks us to bring to him? A broken and contrite heart. What is the true circumcision? The circumcision of the heart. What is genuine obedience? To obey him from the heart. What is saving faith? To believe with the heart. Where ought Christ to dwell? To dwell in our hearts by faith. What is the chief request that wisdom makes of every one of us? My son, give me thine heart. So we just see throughout the scripture this focus on a heart faith, not just a behavior. And then finally in verses 12-14 we saw Jesus turn to his disciples and stress to them the importance of right doctrine. Because wrong doctrine leads to wrong thinking. Wrong thinking leads to wrong action and wrong behavior. And that ends up leading to some form of destructive behavior. So Jesus is warning the disciples against it. And so now as we continue through verses 15 through 20, when you look at verse 11, uh, Jesus says, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then in verse 15, Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still, or are you also still without understanding? So at the heart of this whole passage is this parable or proverb. That's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out. And Jesus often used these short scripture passages like a proverb to bring home a point. Um, and the saying of Jesus about what defiles is a paradoxical proverb. It's meant to challenge the way we normally think. And so when we read this, we may not have that much of a problem with it. But for the listeners at Jesus's time, this was a big issue. And a paradoxical proverb challenges the way we normally look at things. Because normally we would say good behavior produces good results. Now we may know that's not true, but how many of us have this back in our mind, if I do something good, I should get a good result. If I do something loving, people should love me back. Anybody have that in the back of their mind when they certain do things? I will tell people that whatever you do to get love, whatever you do to get love, eventually you will resent because you will never get what you think you deserve when you do something loving. It's always gonna be more than what you expect. If somebody says, thank you, when you do something nice, your mind says, well, why didn't they just rise up and call me blessed instead of just saying thank you? You know. And so, it's, and so we, have, but we have this belief that somehow if I do something good, it sh- I should get good behavior. Uh, you know, in Proverbs 11, 28, a penny saved is a penny earned. Okay, do something good, I get a good result. Conversely, we would say foolish behavior produces destructive results. As in the contemporary proverb, garbage in, garbage out. Or, a biblical example is in Proverbs 16, 28. Destructive people produce conflict. Gossips alienate close friends so you have a destructive behavior which produces a destructive result but Jesus's Proverbs at times combine something that is normally viewed as good with not such good results he who wants to save his life will lose it Man, what's wrong with saving my life I want to save my life I'm gonna lose it or whoever wants to be first Must be last. Ah, Those two don't make sense to me. Um, He also combines what we would view as negative with positive results. Those who lose their life for my sake will what? Find it. Um, So our Proverbs today, the proverb in today's passage, is one of those paradoxical Proverbs. And the disciples are confused by it. So Peter approaches Jesus. But Peter is not the only one that's confused. He's the spokesman, which is not uncommon for Peter to be that. Um, But he's not the only one because Peter says, explain it to us. We've all been listening to you and we're all a little confused about what you're saying. So, you know, explain it to us. And when you read the, the words of Jesus, it sounds like He's still a little frustrated. What? You guys still don't get it? You don't get it? Are you also still without understanding? It's as if if he's expected, by this time, being with me, as long as you've been around me, why do you not get this? Why do you not understand? Now, it's very easy for me to, to say, yeah, why don't they get it? But then I look at my own life and I suspect that there's a lot more times than I'd like to admit that after all that Jesus has done in my life, after all the ways that he has shown his grace, shown his love, shown his power, has taught me about himself, I can imagine him saying to me, Andy, really? You still don't get it? After all I've done, you still don't understand my grace. You still don't understand my power. You still don't understand my guidance. You still don't understand what I'm doing in your life to make your life better. Are you even now also without understanding? And I can just imagine Jesus saying that to me. If If he was here right now, he'd look at me and go, Andy, come on, really? You're still not getting it? And how many times does he say that to maybe others in this room? When we start to question, when we start to challenge. Um, and so, so But why are the disciples not understanding? Because again, they had heard Jesus speaking through the Sermon on the Mount, through all of his other teachings. And Jesus clearly taught them his concern for people. And it was not just keeping the rules but it was this caring, truly loving the people. It was this inner man that Jesus wanted to see transformed. The keeping of the spirit of the law instead of just keeping of the letter of the law. So they should not have been shocked when Jesus spoke. Um, But yet Jesus surprised them what he taught because Jesus' teaching, in essence, challenged everything they had grown up with. They grew up as Jews. They grew up under the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. They taught; they were being taught on a regular basis all of these ceremonial laws, all of these traditions about how what you eat would defile you, so you had to watch, you had to eat certain things, otherwise you would be defiled. So everything that they read or heard was something that happened from the outside in. And Jesus is challenging that whole thought process. Um, so they were obviously struggling to understand, understand. And I think it's difficult for almost anybody when they're challenged with a new pattern, a new thought, that they have been playing out or practicing this other behavior, this other tradition, this other belief system, whatever it may be, for somebody to come along and challenge it or the scripture, for Jesus himself to challenge it, it's pretty hard for us to just embrace it without some kind of questioning. Whatever it may be. And I used the example last week. Somebody will walk into this church and they'll go, where are the pews? I go, well, we don't have pews. Well, where do I sign up for membership? I go, well, we really don't have membership. Well, what about this? I go, well, we don't have that. And they go, well, then you're not a church. And I go, I guess not. You know, because it just so challenges what they grew up with and why it's so hard to witness and evangelize certain people because they believed in something for so much and a tradition and a behavior that they just say, well, I'm good. I'm good to go. And it has nothing to do with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It has everything to do But this is the way I've always lived out my life. And so this is what I believe. Um, And so it's hard for sometimes people to change. Now, when you think about it, it also makes sense, and it's really no different today, to think that spiritual defilement comes from something other than things outside of us. It's hard to come to grasp with that. Because we will take a look at sins, whatever they may be, and we will say those external things are what defile us. And the reason we like that is that we recognize, okay, if this is a bad thing, all I have to do is sin management. I'll just stop doing that and then I will no longer be a sinner. Or I'll do behavior modification. If I just change my behavior, then I will no longer be guilty of a sinner. And so now I can clean up my own act. I don't need to surrender. I don't need to submit. I don't need to let Christ be in control. I'll just do sin management and behavior modification instead of allowing God to truly transform me. And I think one of the hardest things we do is release ourselves into the Holy Spirit, into the hands of God, To allow him to transform us from the inside out instead we just say no i'll take care of this one myself i can quit that habit i can quit doing that and so that's just hard but if defilement comes from something within myself then there's nothing i can do to help myself i'm utterly at the mercy of god and the only way god can penetrate or the only way that that changes is when I surrender and let go and submit myself to God so we see in Jesus's words he sort of completely flips things in another direction that we might be naturally inclined or think that we should go he leads our focus away from the externals and then in verse 18 he talks about what comes out of our mouth proceeds from the heart And this is what defiles a person. So he's saying, if you really want to know what defiles a person, or you want to really, it's his heart. And if you want to know the heart condition of a person, listen to their words. Listen to their words. Because their words will betray. Words will reveal what's going on. And so again, in this passage, Jesus is saying, and it's clear, making it clear to Christians, that, which, that the real holiness comes from the heart. It's first and foremost a matter of the heart. Um, he's saying that food defilement is temporary. You know, you might get an upset stomach. You might need a Tums. But it doesn't touch your heart. It doesn't touch your soul. It doesn't touch your mind. It doesn't touch your spirit. Um, and then the second thing he teaches is, is that The ceremonial ceremonial code was never designed to function in place of God's moral commandments. Over and over and over, Jesus expounds on passages like Micah 6 and Deuteronomy 6, which speak of our obligation to love mercy and to do justice and walk humbly before our God. And so, to love mercy, to to, to love justice to walk humbly, to serve one another. Those are the things that God comp- constantly, or Jesus completely talked about on a regular basis. The exact opposite of what we hear daily. Um, in our own lives, on the radio, and the TV, and the things we read, it's the exact opposite. Um, again, why it would be hard to listen to the words of Christ when all the other words are telling us something different. Um, so, our obligation to love God and to love our neighbor um, is really the great command, not all these ceremonial laws. So, the, he says the Pharisees missed that. So, in contrast to all of that, Jesus stresses the heart again. And the heart here refers to the seat of our mind, our conscience. Our will, our desires, our affections, our and our mouth, which speaks of here, is simply an indicator of what is going on in our heart. The mouth is an indicator of what is there, buried deep in our mind, our conscience, and our will, and our affections. And so in this passage, ultimately, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to do an honest heart assessment an honest heart assessment Um, our true nature and intentions are reflected by what's going on in our hearts Uh, so Jesus insists that harmful words express evil intentions that lead to harmful deeds and Scripture bears it out with all the things the murderous acts uh, the slander and all the things that he mentions And what we eat is just processed through our bodies and eliminated, it goes to the sewer. But there's a far more complicated kind of waste management. One that is overlooked by the church, overlooked by people, overlooked by the society, and totally ignored. And it is, because of that, there is sewage that is going through the streets of our city, going through, flowing through our homes, flowing everywhere, and it comes straight from our hearts. There is word sewage that is just permeating our society, and it's just flowing freely. Um, and the problem is that our words that come out of our mouth aren't spoken to ourselves. We don't sit in the m- front of a mirror and speak mean words. We don't stand in front of the mirror and speak words of judgment. We don't stand in front of a mirror and speak gossip. We don't stand in front of a mirror and slander. We don't stand in front of a mirror and covet. What we do is that we look at another person and we take those words and they come out of our mouth and they go directly to the heart of somebody else. And those words destroy. And they reveal the anger. They reveal the hurt. They reveal the, reveal the judgment. They reveal a heart that isn't surrendered to Christ. And so our words are like the idiot lights on a dashboard. They reveal truth. And we have a choice of what we're going to do with that. Whether this idiot light comes up and says, you need to change your heart. Your heart needs conditioning. Or we just say, no, I don't care. I'm going to drive, and I don't care if the oil light comes on. I don't care if the battery light comes on. I don't care if the check engine light comes on. I don't care whatever light comes on. I'm just going to continue to drive until it breaks. And that's what we do. And this is what Jesus is saying. Out of your heart comes these words. And if those words, if your heart's not right, the words you're going to say to others are going to be destructive. And we are masters of self-deception because if our heart's not right, we will say words that are destructive and then we will say, Pfft, that was anything wrong with what I just said. Except that the other person is devastated. Devastated. And this is why he says, what comes out of your mouth defiles you. It defiles you. So Jesus wants us to wage war on sin. But if we're going to do that, we must seek the root, and the root is in the heart. It's not an external performance. It's not outward forms. It's not in rituals or ceremonies. Our true battle is not against what is outside, but what is inside. What's inside of our hearts? There's a sense in which I know I need to qualify this statement, but I'm I'm just going to say it the way it is. and I mean, not the way it is, but just... Mm-hmm. Is that we need to stop waging war against all the other things that are out there and start waging war about what's going on in here. That's where the first battle starts. Because even when we confront some evil in our society, if we don't do it with the heart of Christ, we're just doing it with our opinion. And if God hasn't changed our heart, we're just spewing things that we may think in our mind is right, but God is saying, stop it. Just stop it. Stop talking to your spouse that way. Stop talking to your kids that way. Stop talking to your parents that way. Stop talking to your family that way. Stop talking about the people at work. Stop talking about... Stop talking. If you can't show some kind of love, some kind of grace, some kind of understanding, stop it. But at the same time, recognize that when those words come out of my mouth, it's an indicator there's something wrong with my heart and so the next step is not just to say stop it and say okay God what do I need to do to change what's going on in my heart um, Jesus in verse 19 talks about for out of the heart comes evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality that false witnesses slander it's interesting how many saw the Ten Commandments the movie and you see the two tablets you see the picture of the two tablets these were all on the second tablet the first tablet was others was other sins commandments but all these commandments are on the second tablet it says for out of the heart come evil thoughts all evil words spring forth from evil thoughts and reasoning he mentions murders which reveal them which reveal themselves not only in deadly acts of violence but in brutal words that are intent to hurt people or expressions of anger and hatred. He mentions adultery and sexual immorality. Once again, it's not just in actions, but in our thought process. In Matthew 5:28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He mentions theft. And it's not just a matter of stealing from somebody. It's a matter that we covet what they have. And so when we start to covet what somebody else has, it produces a jealousy. And a a jealousy just produces judgment. And again, and we start judging others that have what we don't have because they must be doing something wrong. Now, if we had it, we'd be doing something right. But if they've got it, we're jealous of what they have. He mentions false witness, which reveals itself not only in actual words of falsehood, but in misleading expressions of truth with the intent to deceive. And he finally mentioned slander. Another broad term that could be slander in the name of God, but more often it's just we slander people. Um, we, we do character assassinations on people. And the problem is, is when we do a character assassination on people, we're doing a character assassination on God. Because God created each and every one of us and loves us and he loves every single person whether they are a believer whether they are a sinner whether they are white whether they are black whether they are white or brown or yellow it doesn't matter whether they live in the united states or they live in anywhere else in the world god loves them all and when we do character assassination on people we're doing character assassination on god's creation it reveals something in our heart. It reveals something in our heart. The list may be short, but the listeners at that time would understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. And they would be reminded of Jeremiah 17, 9 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. See? And Jesus says, all those things don't happen because you ate the wrong food last night. It had nothing to do with what you put in. It had everything to do with what was actually going in your heart. They weren't worshiping God from the heart. And Jesus is calling everyone to heart management. To really surrender the heart and say, Okay, God, transform me from the inside out. I want you not only to be my Savior, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want my mind to be renewed by your Spirit. I want my mind to be renewed by your Word. If I'm not spending time in God's Word, if I'm not honestly looking at myself to see what's going on, then my heart is never going to be healed. I'll just keep on doing what I've always been doing because it's always worked. A.W. Tozer once said, keep your heart with all diligence and God will look after the universe. Keep your heart with all diligence and God will look after the universe. We usually get it the other way around. We say, God, I'll take care of the universe. Don't worry about my heart. And it's time that we just say, God, change me. Work in my life. Um, He has invited us to draw near to him through a relationship. And in that relationship, Jesus can change our lives. And as he begins to change our lives from the inside out, we will begin to take a look at the people around us with a different set of eyes. We will look at our family members, we'll look at our marriages, we'll look at our work, we'll look at the people that God brings into our lives. All oh, completely different. It was it was last night um, when Mike and I were sitting in the store and you'd see some people who'd come in and they just were demanding. And then you see other people that were so gracious, but the best guy of all He comes in, and he goes, could I have two sheets, a towel, a pillow, and a teddy bear? (laughs) And then he just went on. And it was just, you know, you just felt for the guy. You know, he was just, he, he was down on his luck, but he just had this sense of humor. But when your heart's right, you start looking at people with that same spirit. When your heart's not right, you may do the loving thing behaviorally but all the while you're judging them you're judging them and when your heart's right it's not judging you're just loving because Christ first loved us that's the beauty of serving Hesed House that's the beauty of serving and kids hope that's the beauty of serving anywhere That allows our heart to be broken by the things that break God's heart. Watch your mouth, it'll give you a great indication of what's going on in your heart. If you have an understanding of what's going on in your heart, you can surrender it to God and God can heal it. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to come together. And Lord, sometimes your word just hits me way too closely that instead of really opening my heart and my mind to hear from you I just sort of ignore it and I hear you say to me Andy you still don't get it you still don't understand after all I've done after all I've shown why don't you understand so Lord help me to just do that kind of fearless inventory and truly really, truly do a heart assessment to see what things that I hold on to that prevent me from freely expressing your love to others. Yeah, Father, I praise you, I thank you, and I ask as it's all 51, 10, says, Create in Psalm fifty one ten says, Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I thank you, I praise you, and I ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and all God's people said.